Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, hey, and welcome back to another episode. Episode 46, you know, I'm going to do something I'm not usually very comfortable with doing, and for anyone that knows me personally, um, you know that I do better one-on-one and in small groups that I of people I know or that I can get to know in a in a small capacity uh, in my own time. I'm a bit of a introvert, but a forced extrovert. So, um, you know, there's certainly topics like self-defense and firearms and personal safety, which is why we're all here, right? That I can get up on soapboxes on and be chatty about uh, for some time and some hobbies of mine too, motorcycles and dogs and stuff. But um, in general, I don't like talking about myself, but you know, we're coming up on the four year mark of doing this podcast for everyone. And I thought it was only fair that I just try to take a few minutes to tell you a little bit about me and how I came to be on this path that I'm on. So I guess it was, as far as the podcast goes, I guess it was late uh, 2017, I guess, when I decided that I wanted to do a podcast. I felt like at that point in time that I had all this knowledge floating around in my head and I wanted to get it out and share it. And, you know, podcasts are becoming more and more popular, obviously. And I thought it would be a great way to to share the knowledge that I, I had accumulated over the years that I had been getting it. So it was sometime, I guess, mid-late 2017 when I made the decision and then I went out and bought the equipment, you know, the mixing board and the digital recorder. And now episode 46, um, we're almost to the four year mark. So that's kind of how the podcast came about. But my personal safety self-defense journey starts much further back. I guess, you know, even as a kid, I had to be um, aware Uh, situationally aware and you know as I grew up and as my neighborhood grew and evolved and devolved over time in fact you know those street smart skills as they say became more relevant more important for me and uh, you know there was a few events that you know suffered I guess as a kid nothing catastrophic you know some gangs jumping on friends after school or before school people yelling at you going down the street while you're riding your bicycle through town, you know, throwing stuff at you on your bike, whatever. Um, And growing up, I mentioned this in a previous podcast too. It'll never happen to me. Go back and listen to that if you'd like. Um, We were burglarized. My parents' home was burglarized where I grew up a couple of times um, in my youth. And I remember the first time we were wiped out completely, pretty much, except for furniture, (laughs) and uh, they got everything else, it seemed. Um, So that was traumatic for certain. And then, you know, in the spirit of transparency, I was bullied as a kid. You know, I wasn't exactly, I was, I guess, socially awkward, you would say, at a point in my younger life, my youth. And I guess it made me a target of being bullied, bullied, you know, not standing up for myself the way I should have, the way, you know, I've come to learn um, in my adult life. So burglarized and bullied in my youth, um, you know, I'm sure that had an impact seeing some fights and things that my friend went through. 
and then you know i i was in the scouts i was in the boy scouts of america uh for a while started out in cub scouts went through weebelows and wound up going all the way up through life um was like 11 merit badges from eagle and by that time i'd gotten distracted with motorcycles and girls um i had time to get it but just decided to pursue other things <laughs> motorcycle and girls but you know even in the scouts it, I, I can't speak to it now but for me going through it back then in my youth it was fantastic i learned so much you know building fires camping skills first aid how to handle a knife how to sharpen an axe you know whatever it is uh tie tying all kinds of knots these are skills that i actually still use today when there's an opportunity primarily when i'm out in the woods camping but I think the point of that is, is that even the scouts kind of flip switches for me in my head about the need to be safe, um, you know, whether it was building a fire or handling sharp tools, right? Um, and this sense of responsibility and ownership. You know, flash forward many, many, many years, I guess it was the mid-90s where I really developed an interest and wanted to find a way to take part in martial arts. There wasn't a specific event that triggered that for me other than I had always been curious about martial arts and thought one day that I would like to train in a martial art of some sort. And so I wound up uh, getting associated, getting starting to go to school and take training from a Korean based martial arts that was focused on strikes and kicks uh, more equal both of those than just kicks for example uh, some other korean arts might focus on but the primary reason why i chose that particular art is because they did a great job selling it for hey we don't do competitions and you know we don't fight all out you know it's it's learning on it's learn. It's working with your partner and training on sh blast shields and things like that. So I was like, "Hey, this might be for me, right?" Because at the time, I wasn't looking to get beat up. <laughs> it just didn't appeal to me. And you know, uh, competition. I had no interest in competition. Say what you will. That was just my mindset at that time. So I wound up doing this uh, particular martial art for I guess a couple of years, two, two and a half years. It seems like I remember. And I got all the way up through, uh, purple belt, purple belt, red stripe, whatever it was they had. And then life changed. Um, and I went a different direction and just kind of moved on with life. And while martial arts were still in the back of my head, I just, uh, you know, it just wasn't on the front forefront any longer. It was no longer a priority for me. I was still mountain biking and doing some other things. Anyway, don't want to bore you to death with that. But flash forward into the early mid 2000s, I decided to go back. I, uh, the program was still around. Uh, schools were different. I was living in a different place at the time and uh, wound up hooking up with a school near me and spent another a uh, year and a half, two years, maybe three in total. I don't remember offhand. Uh, and I basically uh, went through to black belt and got my black belt. And uh, I thought that was a major accomplishment. I really did. I, I was so proud to have gone back. 
Um, you know, and I worked my way back through the ranks again. I, st- I was able to start back off at Purple Belt, but basically I had to learn everything from scratch. So I, while I didn't go through the belts yet again, I, I'd started back at White Belt. I had to because I had to know all that stuff to be able to test for Black Belt. So I completed that program, at least up to the point of getting uh, my black belt. And of course, you know, what they say is, you know, when you get your black belt, that's not the end of your training. That's just the beginning. But for me, the black belt was a big achievement. I'd always wanted to earn one. And when I tested for my black belt, my test was three and a half hours. And at the time where I was, I thought that was a big to do. And I remember it being, you know, strenuous to, to say the least. But Flash forward into the 2008, 9, 10 range, I took my first seminar in Krav, and I remember the first time I went, I, uh, <laughs> I, I had eaten a sandwich before I went, and I didn't realize the rigor of the warm-up before I got in there, and at the time, I hadn't been working out seriously, and I had not worked out much at all for years, and the warm-up alone about broke me. I had to sit out. <laughs> they were worried about me throwing up or passing out, and I didn't. I did not, but I sat out for a few minutes and then jumped back in and picked back up and finished up and then you know went through the seminar. And that particular seminar was at a school that was about 45 minutes from me. So it wasn't a convenient school to go through. But my buddy, it happened to be a co-worker at the time. He's the one that kind of introduced me and got me uh, situated to attend that seminar with him. And so that's what we did. And it was a carjacking seminar and, you know, uh, the heavy rubber guns were involved and we got in different people's vehicles and worked different angles of gun control and things of that nature. And I was hooked. It was great. And I'm sure that's why they run those seminars, right? That's why a lot of those seminars happen is because they, they're, they're uh, feeders for the school. Right. And I get it. You know, before that, I sat on a plane uh, going somewhere, either Ohio or Denver, Colorado, if memory serves, and a guy sat next to me that had a Krav Maga shirt on, and I asked him about it because, I'm again, I'm always curious about martial arts, and I, I forget how I said it, but I clearly mispronounced it. You know, a lot of people say Krav Maga. It's not. It's Krav Maga, for those of you wanting to know. Anyway, he proceeded to tell me that he was going out to L.A., to to test for his black belt. So this guy was pretty accomplished because black belt and Krav, at least at that time, and black belt with Krav Maga Worldwide, which is one school of Krav located out in Los Angeles, California. um, It was no joke. So when he said that, I didn't realize the magnitude of what he was about to embark on. But years later, when I got involved in Krav, I then realized that guy was serious. So that was the first time I'd ever heard of Krav Maga before. And then flash forward a few years, like I said, my, my buddy Jesse and my coworker at the time, he got me involved with the seminar and then I was hooked. And then for me, it was just a matter of finding a school that was convenient. And sure enough, not that much longer, I found an ad on Facebook at the time of, of a school that had just opened. And believe it or not, I couldn't at the time. It was literally five minutes door to door from my house. So I jumped on that opportunity. 
and that began that began that was the beginning of my embarking upon a personal safety self-defense journey that's led me to this point in doing this podcast so one of the things in the original martial art the korean-based martial art principles that they had and you know it's not the only martial art that has the same principle but it's it's in korean it's pronounced pilsung and i think the literal translation is certain victory and i'm pretty sure there's some martial arts schools out there that use it in that exact translation for us at the time it always meant do your best and never give up right it was a tenant that we live by and it resonated with me it always has and you know I, I, uh, it, like I said, it resonated with me and I, I, it really meant something to me, even in the Korean martial arts. But when I started taking Krav, the light bulbs went off for me and I realized just how important that mindset of never quitting, never giving up, always doing your best. And then, you know, if something went wrong, fighting to go home and I don't want to get into cheesy slogans and taglines, but it really um, meant something to me, more to me in Krav than it ever did previously. And when I took my first level test in Krav, it was six, six and a half hours. <laughs> well, from, from basically getting to level one was longer and harder than my black belt test was. And as it turns out, that school, that martial arts school and organization that I mentioned was really kind of typical in that there was a lot of politics, a lot of jockeying for favoritism and uh, preference of schools of individuals. And um, I think like a lot of schools out there, it, it was or became definitely a belt factory for sure. And look, that's not to knock it right. I still think for children, it has its place. There's a lot of benefits, you know, self-confidence, discipline, responsibility, there's definitely a place for those types of martial arts, but I knew that I wanted something more serious and I knew I wanted something more specific to self-defense and not so much the forms and katas and patterns and those sorts of things. So I got into Krav and uh, when I started Krav, I, um, my goal at the time was achieve level three. Now look, there's only five levels in Krav before you test for black belt. So I figured if I got to level three, I'd be in pretty good shape. And so I did. I, uh, I worked for years in Krav up until uh, the time that I got to my level three. I, had, I took some issues with the school that I was at at the time. A lot of things were going on. They were changing. They were making things easier. They were trying to move it more towards, you know, a, a typical martial arts school business model. And I didn't think that was right. I appreciated the differentiation that Krav had over those other sorts of schools. I appreciated how hard we worked. When I tested for my level three, uh, it was eight and a half hours nonstop. And it was brutal. Um, and that's just the way it was. And things started to change after that. And I get it. You know, you got to balance money for your school versus the program that you're offering. But at any rate, I stuck with it. I wound up starting to train at another school and went on to get my level A um, instructor certification. And so in my Krav time, I've spent time with a couple of different organizations within the Krav community. The first and foremost was uh, 
Krav Maga Worldwide, which again is based out of LA, California area, whatever you want to say. And then when I tested, by the time I tested for level three at my original school, they had changed um, to Krav Maga Alliance because I guess there was some sort of split at headquarters with Worldwide and uh, Krav Maga Alliance wound up being formed. My original school that I'd trained at for a few years went away from Worldwide to Alliance. And there's some, you know, there was some politics there for sure. There were some other people breaking away from Worldwide at the time. You know, there always seems to be some sort of drama or politics with these, with any sort of martial arts school or, or organization. But anyway, tried to stay clear of that. When I started training at the new school and got my instructor certification, it was worldwide. So I'd gone full circle from worldwide to Alliance and back to worldwide. And so that was it. And uh, did that for a while. I, I, you know, like I said, I trained and got my level three. I've actually trained up through brown belt, but the last school I was at wasn't really big in belts. They were more interested in making sure you were trained and ready to, to test for belting. And I appreciated that. So that's kind of my Krav history, but all during my time with Krav, that's really where the light bulbs were going off for me. And I had always taken personal safety serious. You know, I always locked house doors and kept my windows shut and locked and locked my car and didn't keep stuff out in plain view. And, you know, I had some sense of what personal safety was, but Krav, I guess, I don't know that I'd say that Krav you know, sparked it for me, but it certainly uh, amplified it, you know, and I started doing things more seriously and thinking through things. And, you know, there's a lot more information around training than there is the actual physical parts. And, you know, uh, I'm hoping more schools start to do more with that. And there are um, a lot of information to learn, uh, a lot of information to learn to make you safer and not even have to deal with the physical stuff. But the physical is important, too. So that's kind of my martial art Krav Maga um, overview. You know, I'm not a big proponent of certificates. You know, to me, they're kind of like resume fodder in a large sense. But in this space, you know, it's representation of things that I've done, learning and training that I've participated in and the knowledge that I've gained. So I'm just going to rattle off some of the stuff I've done over the years in no particular order. Um but obviously, um, black belt in a Korean martial art. And, you know, for me, that was an achievement, but I don't give it as much cre credence as I did my experience and knowledge that I got when in my time in Krav Maga. I've uh, done a lot of firearms training. I started shooting when I was probably nine, eight or nine. I did uh, NRA uh, competition shooting as a kid. I think I went all the way up through sharpshooter, if memory serves. I've been shooting a while. I am a certified NRA basic pistol instructor and range safety officer. So I have that knowledge and I have experience in that realm. I have uh, taken concealed carry courses, not that we're required to here in Georgia, but I've done it anyway. And I think some of that was preemptive striking in case something politically changed here in the state. Oh, and speaking of guns, you know, I, I mentioned that I'd been shooting since a very young age and had done some NRA target shooting when I was er early a teenager, right? 
And since that time, I've gotten more serious about firearms. Yeah, it's an American right that we all have. The, the Second Amendment ensures of, us of that. But I look at it as a tool. It's not a go-to tool. It's a, oh, crap, things have really gone sideways tool that I should not be looking ever to have to use. Um, it's last result. But I wanted to talk about firearms. You know, I, I, I carry, I have a concealed permit and it's very important that you get training when you elect especially when you elect to have a firearm whether you keep it in the house for self-defense or you elect to carry concealed such as myself you are regularly shooting um, ideally at least once a month if not twice a month and if you have the money and ammo i recommend once a week it is a depreciating skill it is not like riding a bike. If you stop, your skills will deplete over time. I recommend getting training. I know I mentioned that I'm certified this and that through NRA, but um, I do take shooting very seriously. I shoot regularly, sometimes as often as every other week, and I've been known to be at the range every week, sometimes just once a month. But it I've made the decision for myself to have that tool on board, so to speak, and therefore I have a responsibility to myself and others around me to to stay sharp with that tool and get get training. I've been through uh, multiple handgun uh, pistol courses, uh, not as many as some, um, and I hope to be able to take more as time goes on. But I've been every through basic, intermediate, and advanced with uh, a former marine that i know locally who's fantastic he's actually been on the podcast with us a time or two before uh, i've done his courses a couple of times it's fantastic it'll keep you short uh keep you sharp it'll uh, cover the basics but you'll also be doing things like low light and moving targets and shooting from you know uh, cover and all of those good things so don't spend all your money on gear spend it on some training and even if you don't get formal training at least go shoot regularly if you can't afford or don't have access to the ammo that you need then dry firing is always an option so i wanted to throw that out there as well as i mentioned i've been a certified krav instructor level a krav instructor um i am I have my training in first aid aed and um, cpr you can do that either with the American Heart Association or um, the American Red Cross. I think both programs are great, and they're basically the same these days for all intent and purposes. A little different spin on each. I highly recommend that. That's something that anyone can do. I also have gone through the Stop the Bleed program. You can learn more about that at uh, stopthebleed.org. It's basically how to deal with severe bleeding, severe trauma. Um, bleeding is the number one cause of preventable death in trauma cases. I highly recommend stop the bleed or at least learning how to use a tourniquet and other things that deal with uh, stopping hemorrhaging, severe bleeding. I've been through Ryan Hoover's uh, Fit to Fight up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been through his, uh, well, first of all, I've been through a number of his seminars over the years, but I've been through his active killer defense twice 
it's fantastic because it covers, you know, physical aspects. It covers basically being prepared to fight back and fighting back within the perpetrator. But the nice thing about that program, too, is it incorporates the trauma care uh, dealing with the severe bleeding and tourniquet use. That's a great program. I uh, also went through my county's community emergency response team program. Um, it was eight weeks, I believe, and then a final checkout uh, test exam, uh, physical activity, physical course that you had to go through. It's fantastic. I highly recommend that. You can learn more about uh, CERT, as they refer to it as. Again, community emergency response team Uh that is generally at the county level. It's free. You can learn more about it at ready.gov. I've also been through search and rescue and community disasters that's put on. At the time that I went through it, it was um, with the Texas A&M Engineering uh, Extension Service and FEMA. They have a light search and rescue. It's not heavy duty, but it's more informational for, you know, you dealing with your house and or your neighborhood. I recommend that. I've also uh, been through my county's uh, Citizens Police Academy, and I was fortunate to be allowed to do not just one, but two 12-hour shift ride-alongs, which was fantastic. I highly recommend you doing that. Um the county also offers a citizen's fire academy program. I have not done that, but either one of those are open to the public and free. If you haven't considered it, I highly recommend it. Uh, you'll take away a lot from the police, the citizens police academy. And on top of that, you'll get to see more of what those guys have to contend with and what they go through on a day to day basis. And God bless them. Thanks. Thanks for all the police officers and fire out there. And general emergency workers, for that matter. Um, and <clears throat> I haven't used it the way I had planned, but I've also been at a point in time a NASM certified personal trainer and a group personal training specialist, both through NASM. And again, I haven't done a tremendous amount of that. Let's see what else. Uh, more recently, I've been through uh, Randy King's um, Realities of Violence, which is an excellent program, and I think he's got some new things out now. I've also been through Byron Rogers' Protector Symposium, which, you know, I don't know that it's best for the common public necessarily, the general public, but there's a lot of good information with a lot of outstanding guests in that in those symposiums and i've also taken emory university has a coursera uh, course online called understanding violence and you can pay for it and get a certification out the other side or you can actually audit the class and just learn the information and that's something you can do as well for yourself so you know i'm rattling all this off just to kind of give you uh, an understanding um of what initiatives I've taken to learn more for myself, right? Because the self-initiative project was founded on the premise that we're all responsible for our personal safety and preparedness. And I believe that to my core. So I've spent a lot of my effort over the years. Yeah, sure. Okay. I accumulated some certifications and some, you know, some paperwork saying I've completed a course, but Again, it goes to show that I have 
gotten the training. I have sought out the training and I have that knowledge that I've accumulated that just keeps adding. And of course, you know, if you're smart, you realize the more you learn, the more you don't know, but this is all a good start, right? So, um, I wanted, when I started this podcast, I wanted to create something where hopefully I could help someone out there in the world by sharing the knowledge that I had accrued or, you know, my views of things that I've adopted for myself over the years. And I'm hoping that if you haven't listened to us until now, you'll go back and listen to our content. We have a lot of great stuff out there. Firearms, training, Krav, making a get home bag, um, stop the bleed, active killer. Um, We've got a lot of topics covered. I invite you to go back and listen to the 45 podcasts preceding this one. And let me know what you think. You know, DM me. We run a we're pretty active on Instagram. DM me there. Email me through the website. Reach out. Let me know. Let me know what topics to cover next. I'm always looking for guests or ideas of things to talk about. This one I wasn't really looking forward to. I'm very uncomfortable right now. Um, but I thought that at this point I should give you some idea. And and again, you know, I'm I'm not a first responder. I'm not former LEO or military. I'm not any of those things. I'm just an average guy that's taken an interest in my own personal safety. So with that, I'll close out. I think I spoke longer than I really wanted to. Uh, Hopefully that gives you a better idea. And look, again, I invite you to go back and listen to my previous podcast. And I, I hope that you're able to take away, and I've said it before on other of my podcasts, I hope that you or someone maybe you know can take away at least one nugget of information something that you hadn't thought of before something you hadn't been doing for yourself or your loved ones and you're able to gain something you know i can't change your thinking i can't make you do anything but i'm hoping that with the information that i put out there for you that i'm able to make you think and if i can do that and maybe you change something you're doing to make yourself and your loved ones safer then i've done my job and that's all we wanted to do So with that, I'll close out. Thanks for listening, and I'll look forward to uh, having you back the next time. Thanks so much.